I am ready if you guys are. Okay. All right. Take it away. This edition of Glock Culture is brought to you by Harry's.com, Harry's Shave. Get $50 toward... Sorry. Hold on. Start again. <laughs> Wait, why start again? It's just a thing. Keep, oh, keep no, going. No, no, no. no. no, no. This, this part's good. This part's good. I'm serious. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're going to. Okay. Leaving this in or I'm the last one I'm doing. Okay. We're leaving that in. So this podcast, this is glob culture. We're all together in a room and so we're fighting like it's the odd couple. So we've got... We're we've fighting got like it's commentary's offices. <laughs> the commentary magazine awesome. from which it is being broadcast. Brought to you by Harry's.com, Casper Mattresses, HelloFresh, <laughs> and of course, the great courses. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of commentary in my own offices, but as the one of the three Glopmeisters with me across the table, Rob Long, not in Venice, California. Hi, Rob. Hi, John. And these, are, these are nice offices, too. Thank you very much. And Jonah Goldberg, uh, not in Washington, but here making money, as people do in New York. The Times. <laughs> great sitting, to be here. It's great sitting, to be here. Sitting also at the table is our producer, Scott Immergut, who has to get to Newark Airport. So we need to get into it right away, fast. I'm sorry. And, I, I was just enjoying the chocolate fountain you have here in the commentary <laughs> office. Yeah. I mean, what were you saying? No, 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 no. It's, it's, it, that's because there's a, there's a bar mitzvah here later. That's oh. why there's a chocolate fountain. Because <laughs> we also rent – we rent it out. We rent it out for bar mitzvahs and brises and things mm-hmm. like that. In fact, yeah. I had my bris in this office. Well, that's, well so, But also this morning, the wall size – like what is it? Like 50 feet by 50 yeah, feet yeah, yeah. huge screen yeah, there is to a, monitor there's the a, drone yeah. strikes yeah. outside of, on the West Bank? I mean yes, it's really – impressive. There is a big screen TV here at our conference. Conference room that has been turned on four times in the five years that we've that we've been here. Now I don't understand when when do you guys come in in the morning? Where exactly do you do pledge allegiance to the state of Israel? <laughs> well, we we, we we do that at the uh, we do that at the secret synagogue. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, that I can't tell you the location no, of, of because of I have to yeah. have to kill you. I, I was particularly impressed when we did the retina scan when we came in. Mm-hmm. How. Uh, when Rob did it, it came up and it said underneath, wasp, wasp, yeah, wasp. Yes, yes. But, yes, well, you know, we were doing actual circumcision checks until last week, but we got the retinal scanner. So, <laughs> so, uh, oh, so I guess yeah. I, uh, I missed yeah, out. So, yeah, I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to report that you would have had to, you know. It would have been uh, ex- what we, extreme vetting. Sure. Uh, <laughs> the first time that's happened in Times Square. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. So um, we are, uh, what are we now, 18 days away from the election, I think. 13 days. Oh, my God, 13 but days. But it's going to be one of those things where as we get I – mean, it's going to be like that Ferris Bueller. When, you, when it's one day away, it will just stay one day away for like three weeks. Yeah. Oh, that is so depressing. That is so depressing to yeah. think about. And, uh, and as we are speaking, I believe the Trump family is taking the worldwide press corps on a tour of some hotel in Florida. Because, of course, in the end, this entire presidential campaign – uh, is an ad for Trump hotels, uh, which are now having to change their name to Cyan Hotels. No, no. My understanding is that they were in the crucial, crucial swing district of Washington D.C. Ah. to show off his hotel. Oh, again, right. with the same hotel. Yes. You know why? Because no one's staying there. That's right. Nobody is staying at Trump Hotel in the old post office, and I believe, as I tweeted yesterday, that eventually, and not too soon. The name of the hotel will change to the old post office hotel so that the Trump brand will be off it. The stink of Trump will be off it. The stink at least for 
uh, high-value, high-dollar travelers in the United States who are not going to want to stay in a Trump property. Well, see, I also think the problem isn't how just – How many of those are going to be – how many high-dollar, high-value American travelers will there be after President Hillary? <laughs> <laughs> but I, Well, she could use it as a re-education camp, Rob, for, for people who don't get along with the program. The real problem is, is, is not high-dollar people, although that's a real problem. Uh, it's HR managers and yeah. convention planners – who are always the lowest common denominator, yeah. safest path of resistance, and who's going to book 500 rooms for the next dental convention at a Trump hotel when there are alternatives out there because they don't want the blowback. They're always terrified of right. political controversy. I have a, uh, a friend who lives on Central Park South in the Trump buildings, the Trump building in Central Park South, and his son, well, he was like 10 or 11, went around to every um, – it's, you know, it's condos. They're their own. Went around to every every resident and polled them to see if they would uh, change the name. Oh, no. It's so happening. Like, so like 80% said yes, and then 15% weren't home. <laughs> right. So, so. No, but um, there is a, a series of buildings that are called uh, Trump Plaza on – Trump Place. Uh, Trump Place on uh, Riverside Plaza. Drive below 72nd Street. These are buildings that Trump uh, – didn't build and doesn't live in and doesn't manage, but be, for complicated reasons, contractually they have his name on them. And a 300-person petition has now gone to the management company demanding that the name be removed because they're embarrassed to hmm. live there. And the management company says, what can we do? It's in the contract. Um, and, of course, as we know, it's not like Trump is litigious or anything. So right. it's not like if they, you know, if they were to do it, uh, you know, he would probably be very gracious about it and just uh, let it go without yeah. suing. But eventually there's a shelf life to all those clauses and all right. those contracts, right? That's and right. No, one, no new developer is putting Trump on the name of a building. Right? No, ever. Right. No, no, I would say ever. Not yeah. say, no, no, no. Outside yeah. of Kazakhstan. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, or, or, yeah, that's right. I mean, and the I mean, whole thing, maybe the whole thing was just a, a play – for the international in Moscow, you know, right. uh, you know the hotel in Moscow that. Well, we know they're talking, so maybe that's. that's uh, we I, I, they are. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, they're <laughs> leaking. I don't know if they're talking, but uh, anyway. So really, so yeah. So about? the whole. What is that? What is yeah, that? What, what is that? Today? What is that line in uh, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross? That are we talking here? Or are we having a conversation? Yeah. <laughs> so. so <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so uh, 13 days from the election, the latest poll that's out on my screen here has uh, has it uh, Suffolk USA Today has it Hillary 48, Trump 39. Uh, another poll in which Trump is under 40. Uh, I guess the general presumption is that as the election uh, closes, and there are so many Republicans who would never vote for Hillary, it's not like his number won't creep up into the low 40s. Uh, but there is, you know, it appears to be there is literally no way that Trump now can be president of the United States unless uh, ninety four <laughs> polls, ninety four polls. Movie, John. Here's the thing: you never say in a movie. There's no, literally, no way. Because <laughs> what you do is that you have like a either a circle wipe or drink. President Trump says, like, if you have it's like yeah. when it could but be worse. You know could the be difference raining, between it to rain. you know the difference between what I said. And what you said is that you're talking about a movie, and I'm talking about reality. Am, and and there, there's no group. Yeah, yeah. There's no. Which there's paradigm has yeah. played out to be more accurate <laughs> yeah. in 2016? Yeah. <laughs> the movie? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I you mean so. the dead zone? You were talking about the. You talking about the dead zone? The <laughs> well, only thing that's played like, out is the dead zone. There's been a lot. I mean, look. I mean, I just wrote this column about the the McMullen option. <laughs> dum dum dum. Yeah. And uh, um, it's the only reason I have any hope is because. All of my rational 
expertise, expert friends, mm-hmm. all say it's impossible. And so far, every time someone has said anything related to Trump that's impossible, it's turned out to happen. Yeah, but everything's been impossible in his direction. So the thing is, I'm not saying it is, during the primaries, as everybody says, like people said, well, he can't possibly win. But all the available data said he was going to win. Yep. That was the story. Was we're all like, well, he'll collapse. This is ridiculous. It's yep. all phony. It's all fraudulent. You can't pull six. You can't pull. Right now, yeah, and you can't pull. You can't pull a seventeen-person race right. properly. Right. And someone will come up on uh-huh. the post and all that. Now, every piece of available data says it's, it's, it's not- that she's already at two hundred and seventy votes outside the margin of error in in in, in polling, and well, that she, you're just trying to suppress the Trump vote here. I mean, that's yeah. what you're doing. No, and like she's. She's threatening in Texas, and uh, she's going to win Arizona, and she may win Georgia. And, you know, uh, if she, of course, wins Texas, then that would probably indicate that a a couple of other bizarre dominoes will fall that haven't fallen in the Democratic direction in 25, 40, 34 years. I prefer to think of the Evan McMullen thing as like that that's who, in a novel, becomes president. Precisely because he's the ex CIA guy, and Putin is like furious, you know. He, he's like the the uh, Jack Ryan, right? Yeah, except yeah, the, probably in rewrite you get rid of the Mormon part. No, 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 but no, but that's see in, in the movie Evan McMullen would turn out to be the real villain, <laughs> right? That's the whole point that you know Trump was the person. It looked like Trump was the villain, but yeah. McMullen is the real villain. He's the that, real no, I think that in Mormon the, in the book, though, investment banker right. CIA plant. Yeah, when, 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 when Hollywood gets a hold of it, maybe. But in the okay. book, he would be the hero. In the okay. book, he'd be the hero, and there'd be a scene probably two-thirds in it during, the, during his first crisis where he'd, he's in the Situation Room at 2 in the morning, and he says, give me a cup of coffee. You serious, Mr. President? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's come to that. It's, it's come yeah. to that. <laughs> and then uh, you know, his wife, good morning, puts her hand on his shoulder and says, I think God will understand. Yeah. Or and then, of course, we're saying yeah. Or we could have that moment where he's in the situation room and he says, "You know, I think we need to. We've got to commit the troops." And they're like, "Mr. President, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm, I don't even know who you are. I don't even know who you are. I'm not committing troops based on your say." So he's like, "General, you get out. I'm the president of the United States, whether you like it or not." Wait, who, General would actually refuse the order from the commander in chief. That's what I'm. I'm saying that that would be know. in the movie scene about the. You I, know, I, I, I gotta mean, say, I, the, I, I would the, say that in the nicest possible way. Hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, the chemistry of the live glop is a little weird. It is weird. Yeah, I, don't look at <laughs> I try not to look at. I know. Jonah. I was like, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Yeah, 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 well, we've done this doodling on a illegal. But pad. no, because when we've done this before, we've done it on a cruise ship, and we're all sitting in a line we with a microphones. Yeah, and, and I, I then we're not looking liquor. at each yeah. other, yeah. so it's like, yeah. don't look at me. <laughs> don't look into also, my eyes. Also, it's weird. It's like well, because this is a very low tech studio that we're in. <laughs> Just to let you know. That because yeah, this we like, bought this $300 kit to do the commentary podcast yeah. on, and the mics needed to be higher. I have never and the, felt more alt-right see, but the thing is, right. But the thing is, this is exactly, exactly how a New Yorker cartoonist would draw us doing this podcast, and John would call it anti-Semitic. I mean, this is the thing. We're 13 days out, right? So... Vince Foster has yet to be mentioned in this campaign. Okay, oh, that's, that's the October surprise. He's still alive. Strange, okay? I, I, I thought of this. The two weird things that sort of struck me. One is, you know what we haven't heard of really much in this campaign? Benghazi. 
We didn't three debates. Never heard about Benghazi. Yeah, didn't mention Benghazi. Brought up Bill Clinton's mistresses. Brought up all sorts of things. Never brought up Benghazi. Something so strange. It's like, and the second thing is they brought uh, Obama's half brother to the third last debate. What was what was even the plan there that Hillary Clinton would be rattled by the presence of an outgoing president's half brother? Like that really? Well, to me, it yeah, reminded me of. Seems, she seems that high strung. It wouldn't be Glop if I didn't bring up Odd Couple. It was such the Bobby Riggs move with the <laughs> yeah. extra head attached to the shoulders, yeah. you know, trying to psych. It was, but I agree, it was completely weird. I also think it's very interesting that you pronounce Benghazi like it's some guy named Mr. Ghazi. Um, ben Ghazi. Like Ben Gazzara. Ben Gazzara, who's yeah. a fine, 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 uh, fine actor. How should I pronounce it? Benghazi. Benghazi. You, but you, you, there's Benghazi. a half a pause between Benghazi. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a foreign name. So Benghazi. I'm suspicious of it. <laughs> it's like Gold, like Goldberg. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not a name that I'm familiar with. Jonah Goldberg. <laughs> now, speaking of gentlemen, uh, speaking of the commentary offices, uh, John, yes. Where can I see um, the? Uh, newspaper from tomorrow, which tells me what the stock prices will be tomorrow afternoon. Well, <laughs> un- unfortunately, that's at the secret synagogue <sighs> that you still are simply not simply allowed, allowed yeah, into. Yeah, so yeah. I- I'm sorry to tell you, but I, um, I want to know who's in charge of curating the very large number of magazines sitting in the in the men's bathroom. Uh, I bring those in there because <laughs> I, I, I find gonna, it a very stunned. This, <laughs> this is where this is where um, I do some of my best reading. Uh, I, I, I will confess. You'll notice there are uh, copies of Reason. Uh, there are uh, National Reviews. I yeah. believe. I'll, I'll, um, I will tell you, I did not touch them. No one, no one asked so you to. So you, okay, so gentlemen. You that that's where you do your best work. Uh, so uh, the. The situation that we face ourselves in is that we're having so much fun, you know, just uh, ventilating here that we are not talking about uh, our good friend Harry's shave. Right. Uh, ben our, our, our <laughs> Harry's shave. That you know, gentlemen, big razor companies have the annoying habit of putting out new models and raising their already high prices. Unlike those guys, Harry's doesn't believe in upcharging, which is why... They've made their razors even better, and they're keeping prices exactly the same. Harry's five-blade razors now include softer hinge flex for a more comfortable glide, trimmer blade for harder-to-reach places, lubricating strip textured handle for more control when it's wet, and it's still just two bucks a blade compared to four bucks or more you'll pay at the drugstore. By owning the factory in Germany where they make the blades, Harry's can produce high-quality razors themselves and sell them online for half the price. Here is a special offer for Glop listeners. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they'll send you their popular free trial set, which comes with a razor, five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel. Get it free when you sign up for a shave plan. Just pay for shipping. Plus, special offer for fans of this show. Enter code GLOP at checkout to get a post-shave bomb added to your order for free. So go to harrys.com right now. Enter code GLOP at checkout to claim your free trial set, post-shave bomb, harrys.com. Enter GLOP at checkout. Thanks to Harry's for sponsoring Glop. Now, you mentioned Life LifeZet, Jonah. Mm-hmm. And LifeZet is, is Life one Zet? of the LifeZet is Laura Ingram's website. Uh-huh. And it is Am one I of the something I've ever gone to uh, you're missing I don't want to criticize another uh, you know, piece of media, but no, you're missing nothing. In fact, your life is ev- immensely richer for never having gone there. But it is one of the many. Is it political? Life Z doesn't sound political. It started out not being political. It's it was supposed, supposed to be, like to be a kind life of like style a style. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Life, a but uh, but uh, what it has turned out to be. Life gas. Yeah, is. Uh, I don't even know what you'd call life. it. 
Gaz Life. Um, and now, so it is one of the many sites uh, that make up the conservative media world of which uh, Jonah's Magazine and Rob's Magazine, National Review, is the sort of uh, grandfather, great-grandfather founder, uh, commentary, my magazine, which began as a liberal magazine, went left, and then mm -hmm. basically joined as part of one of the foundational documents of neoconservatism. Right. Right. And then in the 90s, of course, there was this wild acceleration of conservative media that has only grown uh, in the Internet age. And a lot of people are now saying that part of the grave difficulty in rebuilding the Republican Party after the expected defeat of Donald Trump is that the conservative media outlets that helped promote Trump and make Trump and Excuse push me. Trump. Jonah has yes. just doodled a skull. Jonah's doodled a skull. Right. I also doodled the alphabet in yeah. block letters. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, the skull is what scared, okay. terrified me. You okay. know, this is like this is this is like the social media problem writ large. So you're now basically like Jonah. You're like the guy who was following uh, George yeah. Allen around. I would so you're like now telling everybody what his what his doodles are. See, but the thing is, I normally on the podcast, Makaka or whatever his name was there, because really? I, I have ADD oh, issues, so and so I, I, so clearly I your ADD is causing you to pay attention to my doodle. Exactly right. Well, I just I just didn't want to talk about conservative media. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we wait. So what's to... your point? Is it that we there's too much of it? No. The question is, will will conservative media make it possible for there to be an honest reckoning no. after the election or? Or is the is the crisis of conservatism and the Republican Party going to be exacerbated by the uh, by the existence of conservative media that will not own up to its own responsibilities and having dragged well, the party and the country into there? this? I, mean, what, what do I don't know. I, I'm just well, laying I, so out the question. I, 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 will, I will give you my sort of standard response on this because um, I actually think it's a real issue and something that we need to worry about um, for. 15 years now, particularly – I've probably said this on other podcasts. But um, for 15 years now, if you're sort of my age or younger, you could make a really pretty good living only talking to audiences that already agree with you. Right. Right. And so what you end up getting in that kind of environment is you lose sight of what politics is supposed to be about, which is persuasion, which is adding people at the margins to your movement. Go back to Aristotle of persuading people of different who – who think their interests are in conflict with yours that in fact – they're in alignment with yours. And instead, it becomes contests of purity. Who is the purest conservative? Which, by definition and by logic, guarantees to exclude more people right. than attract. And that model of rhetoric, that model of logic, has completely caught on with a lot of talk radio. Um, what's interesting is to watch Rush Limbaugh this year all of a sudden abandon it when he was sort of the high priest of it for so long, right? Because you have to abandon it if you're going to defend Trump vociferously. But the reason I think we got into this cul-de-sac was because of that sort of mindset, that sort of argumentation. And Ted Cruz going around only talking to the base, only talking to people who already agreed with him, and right. saying that anybody who – that everyone else is insufficiently conservative. But it's slightly different now. I mean I would separate those two things. One is there's the political thing, which is like the oh, – yeah, He's too Mike. far from the mic. Mike, he's, he's, uh, the political thing, which is like we did have a litmus test for several like, – you know, Republicans or conservatives had about 27 top priorities that were absolutely crucial, whereas the Democrats were sort of loosey-goosey from the 60s on and got bigger, and bigger was better, it turns out. Their, their, their strategy was much smarter than ours. Um, but in terms of like actually making money in the media, none of these, none of these conservative 
media organs made any money until they got like got fancy, until they got with talk radio or Fox News, which were never ever started as highbrow. They were always started as entertainment, entertainment first. Um, we just sort of, we just started to take them seriously, um, and that was maybe our mistake. But it, no, it's not I, as if they were they were they were uh, acting uh, against their best interest, their best economic interest. The Fox News profits are up. Rush Limbaugh's uh, listenership. Yeah, but is so up. are CNNs. Right. Well, that's right. So are CNN. So reason. Fox is up for the same reason CNN is up. That that is not Fox did not benefit materially. From the rise of Trump, any more than CBS did when Les Moonves said that Trump but, but was good for CBS's business. Individual shows and hosts benefited enormously. Right. No, of course. So we have there the profit motive helps explain 2016. The question then is: Trump loses, the election's over. Um, a new set of challenges is in the offing to win audience, to win market share, to do all that on the part of for-profit conservative media. And the question is. What direction are they going to go? Are they going to go? Are they going to think that they need to adapt to a new reality, or are they going to double down on Trumpian populism without Trump or post-Trump, or continue on with Trump as the as their as their voice, even though he will have lost? Now, generally, political history would tell us that parties tend not to like people who humiliate them in an election and lose, but you know. Um, and you know Barry Gold Barry Goldwater was an awfully silent presence you, on the right for 15 years. Parties, yeah. You're talking about about media companies. That's right? what I'm saying. Well, the media companies will do what media companies do, which is they'll try out a bunch of different kinds of programming, and they'll go to the one that seems like it has the biggest and most loyal audience. So they'll try out a bunch of different hosts. I think the, if you about Fox News, I suspect that lineup's going to change, and those personalities are going to change over the next 12 months. Well, it just so, so happens, and of course, of Fox News itself is going through this massive transition because of the dismissal, departure of Roger Ailes, and so that 20 years into Fox's life happens congruent with this identity crisis on the right, Fox having been a kind of definitional, uh, what you might call it, sort of virtue signaling of people on the right that they voted, <laughs> they're almost voting in media by watching Fox, the exclusion right. of other things, right. to make the point that this is who they were, and th- this was the network that right. understood their values and supported them, uh, but now the genius who ran it and had that incredibly tactile sense of who the audience was and what it wanted is gone, and we don't know what kind of world they're going to think that they need to play in. Well, they don't know it either, so that's, that's, the, that's the benefit of being a, um, a network like that is you try things out. You don't have to make commitments to it. You try right. them out, you see what happens, and, and right. you plow resources into things that seem to be growing. And you star resources of things that aren't. aren't. They mm-hmm. don't have to commit to 27 episodes. It's not, they're not HBO where they have to send everybody to you know, the, the cliffs of Moher in Ireland to shoot Game right. of Thrones at a million dollars a day. They can right. do it for 10 But I'll, I'll just give you an example. Week. I'll give you an example. Try to, try to create a new star. I'll give you an example. Think to think about for the next six weeks. Okay? So let's say Trump loses but the House Republicans maintain their majority and uh, it is time for there to be the pro forma race – for Speaker of the House, because the new Congress needs right. to elect a new Speaker of the House. So uh, it is very clear that the kind of Trumpian forces are going to go at Paul Ryan's jugular. Now, there are two ways this can happen, one of which is somebody runs against him and runs in whatever, and it doesn't happen. The other is whether conservative media will take the rivalry on, will focus a spotlight on whoever it is that is going to take Ryan on, and we'll make a big star out of him, and we'll try to make giant hay out of this race and try to effectively unseat 
Ryan or whether they'll be nah enough like this is enough no, this this look, went this this was fine as long as it was but, Trump but, I don't think it's but no one's going to care about I don't think this it's be that clean look if you are right wing media with your right wing audience you're a republican whatever you want to call it and you know the election kind of unfolds the way we think it's going to unfold with president hillary clinton and a and a slim uh, democratic majority in the senate the Speaker of the House, the Republican House, is de facto the leader of the Republican Party. It's going to be an interesting story. Everyone's going to cover it. It'll be interesting. I'm not and saying it won't be covered. Ugly, but it'll be covered. I'm not saying – will yeah. Sean Hannity yes, become the be, – no, become the flag waver for Louis Gohmert if Louis Gohmert runs against Ryan? Or will he calibrate after the election that oh, oh. it was one thing well, one, to say Paul Ryan guy. was a dishonest monster who is a liberal and, and then it's another when Trump is out of the way, is out of the picture well, to continue sort of marching down the road to nowhere that Trump My led him on. My Hannity viewers right now already are against Paul Ryan. So the idea that it'll have an effect on it won't, won't it, it, the overarching direction of that network is going to be determined by the mood of their audience, which no one knows what's going yeah, to be. Yeah, but they weren't against yeah, I mean, Paul Ryan until it, like when Paul Ryan became the, the Speaker of the House in 2015. You'll remember, like he was the savior. His coming, he came in like on a white horse. Because Kevin McCarthy, who was supposed to be the guy, wasn't right-wing enough, and nobody else was right-wing enough, and Kevin McCarthy decided he didn't want to do it. And so it was like, please, Paul Ryan, run. You're the only one who can unite the oh, warring factions girl. and bring no. the seven kingdoms into Wait, harmony. Johnny, what do you want to say? Um, I think a lot of this depends on what Paul Ryan actually says if and when Trump loses. If yeah. Paul Ryan gets up there and says, hey, look, we got to be honest about something. This is this hot mess over here is why we <laughs> lost, why we gave away a winnable election and we got to be grownups. Um, then you're going to get one reaction. If you get him up there saying, now's the time for all of us to come together. This was a tough race and let's bury the hatchet. You're going to get a different kind of reaction. And I agree with you that Sean is, you know, and, I, and just full disclosure for the listeners who don't know, I don't know who that might be, but. I'm a Fox News contributor. I have been strongly encouraged to uh, lay down my weapons and my various feuds inside the tent at Fox so long as uh, others lay down theirs. And I've tried to honor the ceasefire, mm-hmm. which is why I'm not taking some of John's bait here. Um, uh, but at the same time, forget Sean. Forget Fox. You know, what does Rush Limbaugh do? What does... Well, that's more interesting, actually. Yeah, I have to say because, of course, in the we, you know the truth is Rush Limbaugh has a larger audience than Sean Hannity. I mean, Rush Limbaugh has 15 million people who listen to him a week, and uh, Limbaugh one five, embraced one five. okay hmm? one five right. Yeah. So Limbaugh embraced what I would take to be an almost comic nihilistic approach this year, which is he knows Trump's not a conservative. He knows he's a, but he's fighting the people that we all hate. And he's showing up everybody who said, oh, he's too this, he's too that, he's too the other thing. It's hilarious. It's hilarious to watch him pull the wool over everybody's eyes. It's hilarious to watch him flummox the media. It's fantastic. But he's not a conservative. But it's so much fun and he's so much fun. It's so great. He's got wiggle room to get out of. You know, he's not, you know, Dennis Prager saying, if you didn't vote for Trump, you're you're evil, which is something Dennis basically almost said the other week. So he's got wiggle room to say, look, I never said he was a conservative, well, and I said it was worth it. It was funny. It was a funny get gambit, and it didn't work, and now we can move on. If he does that. But, yeah, but look, the, these guys will, will – will, if, if nothing else, they are extremely, extremely sensitive to the, 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 the even – 
hard to discern tides of their audience. That's why they all played Hamlet for a while and then decided they were going to stand up for, for Trump. Can I ask everyone for a quick prediction? Yeah. Donald, let's say, for the sake of argument, Donald Trump loses. <laughs> yeah. Or, or if we want to be fair about this, if Donald Trump loses and if Hillary Clinton loses, uh, I think we can all agree that Hillary Clinton will be gracious enough in her admitting defeat um, within the boundaries of reasonable political discourse. Right. Um, do you think Donald Trump, not not just election night, right? So it's a two, two-part question. One, is he gracious election night and, say the, and says he <laughs> lost? And two, what does he say five days later when the endorphins and the high wears off and no one wants to put him on TV? Does he go back and say, no, 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 it really was rigged? I think... I'm now going to go out on a limb and say I think he is going to concede graciously. I think that, you know, in the sort of annals of the sports game in which he is playing, you lose, you say you lost, you congratulate Hillary on a tough fight. She was a tough competitor. It was a tough year. I had 16. I beat 16 tough competitors, and I did something no one's ever done before, and no one can take that away from me, and congratulations, and maybe things will be good. And then a week later, he could go back and say that it was all rigged just because That's weird. That's a weird can't. prediction. Why? Because I don't think he's ever been gracious his entire life. So he's going to just election night when he suffers a stinging defeat? I don't even think it's that, that, it's that gracious. I'm just saying that he would do the, you know, all right, it's over, you know. I, I you think know, he's going to be I gotta, silent. I think it's going to be Mike Pence who's going to call. Uh, and I think, you know, five, six days later, he, he, I think he's going to probably say some bitter stuff and then try desperately to turn it into something so he can say, no, I, I, it, it was a setback. I turned it in. Look, I got, a, I got a new chain of fried chicken stores. I think that's the more plausible thing. By the way, on the speaking of graciousness thing, um, I don't know. If we didn't talk about it. We had lunch beforehand, listeners. It was as exciting as you can imagine it would be. Um, but uh, I did not. Enjoy I was lunch. not on my phone. By the way, I'm the only one here who actually sat and was present at the lunch while everyone else was on their phone. I yeah, looked at my phone a couple do. times. Yeah, yeah, to do. I didn't look at my phone because I was so excited to be with. That's with not true. Yeah, that is literally not. It true. is totally um, true. So, um, did you guys see the note, the the blog post that Donald Trump posted after John Travolta's yes. kid died? Yes, I did enjoy that. Yes, that that um. That was special. For the yeah. for listeners who don't know, apparently at Trump University, he had a blog, and he would post blog items. And he um, spent the first two-thirds of the blog post talking about, not to be uh, indelicate about it, how he tried really hard to nail the grieving mother, Kelly Preston, Kelly Preston, wife of John Travolta. And then only after he had told the story about it, and also got in that... Normally, when he tries to do this, the kind of thing he's super successful. I have a very good track record in this re- in this regard. Yeah. He said, yeah. And then it was only after he got all that out of the way that he said, "Oh yeah, and by the way, I want to extend my condolences to the Travoltas on the news that their child has just died." And right. So the idea that that guy <laughs> is going to be Mr. Gracious. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, what I liked about that, st- I liked about that story was that, like, he. It, it was a sign he thought of her in uh, high character and high moral character that she didn't let him pick her up because a he's really good at that so that b and b he tried really hard right but she didn't so that's this is the kind of woman we're dealing with so she must feel extra pain now at the death of her child 
Like it was the most convoluted compliment it was, ever. It was actually like it, it, it and it tracks it, the Access Hollywood thing, it, right? It, 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 he's, yeah. he's once again talking about how he struck out with somebody. Yeah, yeah. It it it, it felt very mob, like a kind mm-hmm. of a thing you like a Sopranos style. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about how gracious she is as a lady. <laughs> what a classy lady! What a classy lady she is. And then you like I asked her, and it, it's uh, it's fantastic. It's really. Uh, it was. I mean, I will say, reading through it, uh, you know, I don't like uh, the abuse of women stuff. I don't like him abusing women. I don't like him calling Ben Carson a psychopath. I don't like him saying that Ted Cruz's father killed. JFK. I don't like any of that. I don't like the way he he behaves toward his daughter, Tiffany Trump. That blog post was the worst thing of his that I have ever seen. There was something so unspeakable about it. A 16-year-old kid with autism. So solipsistic. He couldn't get out of it. Dies and chokes to death. I thought it was... was, uh, um, No, no. He was was severely autistic. No, no. But he chokes to death, basically, in a bathtub. And Trump writes a post about how, oh, let me just remember back to the let glory days when I was trying mother. to nail Kelly. Yes, yeah. no, she would not it let was, me because she was of a character. Yeah, she was, of a, she was a very high, <laughs> she was of a yeah. very high yeah. order of character. And now it's, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, it was just horrible. But you know what's not horrible, gentlemen, is Casper mattresses. Far from it. Not only are they not horrible, I got two of them in my. <laughs> That's in how, my household, that's how high I value you guys, you guys, you guys, you are screwing with the brand. I don't oh, think yeah. you should be doing that with our sponsor, the mattress industry. Mattresses. Look, the mattress industry has forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups. Casper revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. One of the best inventions of 2015, says Time Magazine. Award-winning mattress that won't disappoint. Obsessively engineered, shockingly fair price. Mattresses cost over well, well over 1500 bucks. Casper's cost 500 for a twin size, 600 for a twin XL, 750 for a full, 850 for a queen, 950 for a king. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper, combining spring latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. Buying a Casper mattress completely risk-free. Free delivery, free returns with a 100-night home trial. You don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Best of all, made in America. So get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glop and using the coupon code glop. 50 bucks off. We thank Casper Mattresses for their stewardship and sponsorship. Do you guys have the, 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 the did you up, upgrade to the new uh, Apple OS? I did. I'm very unhappy. I love it. Cause it cause, Why? Because this is, all the sounds are like a little more sort of <laughs> muted and classy. So this is when you lock the phone, this is what yeah. it sounds like. It's like, it's not like, it's Click. like a, it's lower. The bass is and, and the, even the tappy noise is a, I don't know though. Ever all these features on the on the messaging where you can like make things explode oh, and hearts and oh, things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'm really I'm I'm glad for you. I just think I'm sure it's eating up ten thousand times of my in my memory of making the phone you know fifty times slower, but or fifty times more ready to drain. But you know, Rob, you're a man of you're an early adopter. I'm an early. You're an early adopter. You like. New systems. I had to do it because there was an app I needed for my kid's school that you had to go up to 10 and, or 9 and you couldn't get 9 without 10. So I did it. I'm not happy about it. But what I, And I'm also None not – can I just also say that I am not happy 
about the HBO show Westworld. You aren't, really. I am not happy about Westworld. We decided we are going to talk about Westworld. I haven't seen the last two. I've watched the first two episodes, and I was very lo- much looking forward to it. I liked the original movie 45 years ago, and I liked the concept. Was and I a liked, movie? Like people it was a movie. movie. Michael I Crighton. Thought, I, I thought with James movie. Brolin and, and then it became a TV show. And then it became a TV show called Beyond Westworld. Logan's Run was a TV show. That's right, for one season. It was a completely dumb idea for a TV show. And so was Planet of the Apes. It was. No, that's really? right. They yes, were all on CBS. Briefly. Every yeah. one of those series who, who was James on Franciscus CBS. Who played Charlton Heston? He's used the TV. No, the TV Heston. version. I don't even remember. No, James Franciscus was the star of the second Planet of the Apes movie. Oh, that's maybe that I'm getting. Yeah, confused. James Franciscus. Also, Doc Elliot. He was in a movie, a TV show called Doc Elliot. And he was in, and he played a blind, uh, blind detective. Who says Long can't Street to the kids? Long Street, the blind <laughs> detective. That? That's right. We're losing millennials. Anyway, <laughs> I don't. I'll tell you what the millennials. What they need is what we had in the old days with the Fonz. Uh, it's got to be yeah. the Fonz. Tell them about the man from Atlantis yeah, with Patrick animal. Duffy. That you was know, a he, man. Had web, he had webbed hands. <laughs> Patrick Duffy had webbed hands. Yeah, Patrick well, Duffy. He's very like cool. That. And he needed yeah. light for power. Yeah, the, kids loved, the kids, no. the kids <laughs> loved <laughs> that. <laughs> the kids loved that Patrick Duffy. He yeah. was on that, what do you call it, that Dallas. Wonderful. That wonderful, Dallas wonderful thing. Wonderful show. Wonderful program. Wonderful. Wait, what were you going to say? Westworld. Westworld. Yeah. All right, so here's my theory about why... Well, so this is HBO's Westworld, enormously expensive new series, and uh, I heard that. Yeah. yeah. So part of the problem with it <coughs> is they wanted to open with mystery, right? They wanted it to be they basically opened in a mood uh, that was like five episodes in, right? And like if you watch Game of Thrones, first episode of Game of Thrones, it's just entertaining, right? They don't provide you really almost anything else except the barest sort of plot mm-hmm. sort of intro. And instead, it's almost like Westworld started in the middle of the second season where it's already convoluted. It, the pacing is bad. Yeah. It's slow. And what they should have done is simply open with the first episode just being a Western. That you had no idea it was anything other than a Western. And just yeah, people, people like Westerns. in the West and people having sex and people shooting each other and all sorts of intrigue. And, and then stuff. at the end, you discover a guy aims a gun at someone and the gun makes some weird noise and the guy doesn't know what's happened. Right. And then it turns out that he's a robot and the robots can't shoot the people. There should have been a big reveal yeah, at the yeah. end of the this first one right. to get you invested in the characters. Or maybe this, this is not a series. Everything is not a series. And a, ser- a series in which the whole thing is, oh my God, the robot's going to go crazy. And every episode is, are the robots crazy yet? Uh, like, I get it. Look, but, it's a movie. It's, it's, it's about 77,000 movies. Yeah, no, but you some see of them it good coming down. Bad. I mean, first yeah. of all, Blade... Oh, also, just because this really bothers me. I get why in, like, early... Crichton probably wrote this, what, late 60s, early 70s? Yeah, it came out in 72, I think, yeah. the movie. I get why you might think that the ultimate fantasy for somebody 40 years ago was to go in a make-believe Wild West... Wouldn't you rather go to Westeros world yeah. than yeah, Westeros sure. or, right. or or Alderaan? Yeah, exactly. Or right. or Tatooine or something right. like nobody or now. Nobody now is going to pay seventy five thousand libertarian idealistic uh, utopia where there's no government. Like the, Peter Thiel's Sea Colonies, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah or or the Island and Lost or something. Like nobody now. Wants to go, you know, My, uh, into a 19th century town where there's no toilets and yeah. you have to ride a horse well, everywhere and all that. But anyway, the other weird I'm thing sure about no Westworld stacked with is the that magazines like like the commentary. <laughs> so, so the first, uh, well, like, I say one thing. There is a yes. um, uh, my first week in film school. There was a uh, a guy came as a producer. It's a studio head. I forget which studio, but big guy, you know, 
And he came to talk to the young writers, and he said, uh, let me tell you something about this business. We turn our daydream, you turn your daydreams into dollars. That's what you do. So you must always be truthful to your dreams and to your uh, um, creative force and to whatever that life force is inside you. And you need to not write what you think the business wants or the marketplace is asking for. You need to dig deep into your heart and your soul and come up with a story that's true to you and true to your life. And you need to put that on paper. And whenever you do that, you'll be absolutely successful unless it's a Western. <laughs> I think it was like, and that man was Louis Rukeyser. <laughs> and he was like, uh, you, you, uh, the pretty one in the front row, uh, come see me after after the lecture. And I did, and he was extremely generous. <laughs> so, no, the weird thing about Westworld is this strange thing happened in the New York Times last week. So the New York Times reviews uh-huh. this new – let me, let, me, let me explain. New York Times reviews this new Netflix show, Goliath. Made by David oh. Kelly, who made uh, L.A. Law and Golly, Boston Public and all that. NYPD Blue. NY, no, he didn't make NYPD Blue, but he made uh, Boston Legal. Boston Legal. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Okay, anyway, so it's with Billy Bob Thornton. And so the reviewer, Mike Hale, said, this show is very annoying because it's one of these incredibly convoluted shows that goes back and forth in time. You don't know what's going on. It's very complicated. And, you know, it's like unnecessary that it was like this. And then a day later, the New York Times published a correction that said... Unfortunately, Mike Hale watched the first two episodes out of order. He watched, <laughs> yeah, that? He watched the like second episode correction. first and the first episode second. And, and so we apologize because it actually was – if you watch it that way, it's very <laughs> normal. Now, Westworld – Westworld – yeah. If you read the review, the review was filled with things like uh, the narrative is all mixed up. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. It seems to yeah. stop yeah. and start right. arbitrarily. Yeah. Right. So, uh, right. Certain storylines are just dropped and not picked yeah. up. And then later they're picked up in a, like, in a back time <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah. like the guy who yeah. written it as a joke. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, would, you, would, you would actually have said to yourself, well, it's a little too on the nose. But Westworld did this almost exactly. Yeah, yeah. That is the second episode of Westworld is the introduction to Westworld. The first episode of Westworld is, what the hell is going on? It's some town and this girl keeps waking up every day yeah. and someone's shooting people and he can't get shot. And then on the second episode, you're like in the control room of Westworld and they explain – we have this world. You come for a week. You pay $50,000. We have all these robots. We control them. They're very lifelike. You can do whatever you want to them. And we make up storylines and blah, blah, blah. And I, my, I, I swear to you that they made the show and they decided that they needed to have the second episode first. Or they were going to intercut the two yeah. episodes and then they decided not to do it that way because it, it literally, the first episode is kind of boring because it, you're there but you don't want to be there there's no reason to yeah. be there because somebody's coming in on a train and I'm working so hard to try to stick with it yeah me too but I, no, I will say this the, other thing the problem I will say this other thing which is the 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 bit about how robots are actually better than people is like it's enough already like I think the first time we ever saw that was there was this uh Movie Silent Runnings uh, that was made in like the early set with cute robots on a, and they were better, they were more interesting than yeah. people. And then you know R two D two and State three PO were sort of don't more forget Herbie the Love Bug, sure, right? But more Small lo- Wonder. Am I the only one yeah. Small Wonder? Yeah, no, but the I'm ro- saying the robot little girl, the robot little girl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, she was hateful. She should have been. You know, she no, needed. No, she wasn't the, hateful. She was really. She was like. The, she she was, was so not cute. If you go look on YouTube, it'll make you cute. People things that aren't cute, John, aren't evil. No, but what I'm saying is like there was a thing where. 
you know, robots were scary. And then so – and the classic flip. So robots then became lovable and right. cute. Well, Data's a robot and... on, on Star Trek and all this. Look at the revisionism yeah. on Al Gore. Everyone <laughs> likes him now. Yeah. Now it would be interesting if robots were bad. Like it's you know making a show no, no, where people are mean robots, and robots, robots are, are bad. That's funny. Shows, uh, AI robots were bad. Robots no, bad. they were good. The they robot turn, and the AI was the good, and the people they, were they, bad. They, they, they it's time already directive. for human beings to stick up for themselves against <laughs> the robots. Look, the robots are coming. They're going to take us over. They beat us at chess. You know, they're going to they're going to be smarter than we are. At least, at least we can like have a little pride in humanity as we go down to the control of Skynet, which I you know seems to be you know where we're heading. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's only cool what is it? Three years to Wally. Turns into like this horribly brutal dictator, you know, yeah. <laughs> and just enslaves yeah. humanity. Right. Well, 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 human humanity chess pieces. is all fat and everything, right? Yeah. Now, the other great cultural thing that happened in the last week was uh, that it's not that Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize. That's great. You can argue whether Debatable. it's great or not. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not the world's biggest Dylan fan. What was great and what remains great is the fact that Dylan has not contacted the yeah. Swedish Academy to thank them. For the prize, and the Swedish Academy has now—they're mad. They're mad, and they say he's arrogant and he doesn't cato. He's not grace. He's graceless and, and arrogant because they did the did him the inestimable favor of making a songwriter the first non-literary person right. to win right. the Nobel Prize, and right. he isn't falling right. on his knees in gratitude. Right. Now, I have a fantasy, and my fantasy sitting here in the commentary office is the center of worldwide the worldwide Zionist conspiracy, as you know. Is that uh, Bob Dylan, the uh, who recorded the single most Zionist song ever written, "Neighborhood Bully," in 1983? That Bob Dylan That's is the not single most Zionist song ever written. Ever. They call you the neighborhood bully. Listen to it. It's basically Israel well, has a right to defend to itself. Like, <laughs> Israel has a right to defend itself, right, and everybody right, right. attacks it. That's basically the theme of the song. That Dylan is not contacting the Swedish Academy because he thinks they're a lousy nest of anti-Semites, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with them. Which is my fantasy, but it's not necessarily just a fantasy. Something's going on here. Something's going on here that Dylan isn't like saying you know, thank you. And be he's weird and doesn't. He have is weird. Like, I, I think it's more like he's. Although I like that idea. Although if that were if that were his reasoning, I'd rather he show up and unleash holy hell. Well, he may. Yeah, he may. Yeah, you know Philip Roth of all people who. Wait, you know, wait, so, wait, 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 but so then the second point is, uh, I think it's that. He's got this quirky thing that, you know, don't put your labels on me, right? <laughs> and he doesn't want to be known as Nobel Prize winner for the rest of his life. And it's sort of like, uh, what is that line from Wayne's World where uh, Wayne says, was it Kierkegaard or Dick Van Patten who said, <laughs> to, 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 to label like, me is to define me or something like that. I think right. that's sort of where he's coming down. Right. Well, I, I, anyway, I think that there is something uh, – there's something very – first of all, it does seem very cool not to care and to irritate yeah, pretentious, like, what's he say? pretentious I mean, people on. on the Norwegian peninsula. But, um, but, but at the, the same time – But, you know, Philip Roth, who will never win, said in 2014 something like, you know, maybe I would win if I wrote a book about – you know, that was called The Deep Suffering of the Palestinians. That was Philip Roth to an interviewer said. That's what I need to do if I'm going to win. Obviously, I'm never going to win because I'm basically a Jewish writer in America. Mm. And that's the last thing that they're ever going to do. However, mm. the right. last thing – not the last thing I'm going to do, but right now I am going to talk to you about HelloFresh, which wants to change the way people eat forever. 
HelloFresh believes everyone deserves honest, natural, delicious, healthy food, whether you're a busy professional couple, a large family that runs at a breakneck pace, or someone who simply wants to start cooking more. HelloFresh makes it easier, tastier, and healthier than ever to enjoy the experience of cooking new recipes and eating together at home. It's the meal delivery kit service that makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone, from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. HelloFresh sources the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed so there's no food waste. They employ a full-time registered dietitian on staff who reviews each recipe to ensure it is nutritionally balanced. HelloFresh currently offers customers a classic box or a veggie box and will soon be launching a family box. Customers can order three, four, or five different meals per week designed for either two or four people, all delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box. Special offer for our listeners for $35 off your first week of deliveries. Visit HelloFresh.com and enter Glop Culture, all one word, when you subscribe. HelloFresh.com, enter Glop Culture when you subscribe. And thanks very much to HelloFresh yes. for sponsoring us. So, uh, we were talking at lunch today about the great irony that everybody that we know lives part of their lives in the ecosystem of Twitter, and Twitter is losing $400 million a year, is about to go through massive layoffs, and is clearly in some kind of definitional crisis because nobody wants to buy it. People keep looking at it, big yeah, companies it really keep going. Fit into anybody else's plan. Right. Because to keep Twitter, what, to keep it what it is, is to limit its upside, financial upside, although. It, it has a lot of users. It just the users aren't growing. And to change Twitter, you may lose the users you've got. So it's kind of in this terrible position you never want to be in in a company where you need to make change in order to increase your profitability and your use. But if you make those changes, you might actually lose the people and what they like it, which is you could either decide it's a sign of a company in trouble or it can be a sign that a company hit the bullseye and created a product that is exactly what it should be and doesn't need any extra inputs and doesn't need to grow and shouldn't have uh, outside shareholders or uh, um, equity markets saying you need to grow at 10% or 12% or 15%. In fact, they came up with a perfect product, 140-character uh, text messaging microblogging service that simply is not monetizable. And it turned out, of course, that the person who hijacked uh, one of the major uh, parties uh, in the United States and in the world and took control of it did so in part by mastering Twitter as no presidential candidate has mastered any medium but that's, I, you know, before I, it, the right? The mastering thing, I don't I, – that's such a cliche. I don't think he mastered anything. He uses it, and he doesn't care if he sounds stupid. Right. He's not well, that's afraid. mastering it. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he's not afraid of it. And Bingo. Like, it's not like he's like some <laughs> yeah. mastermind who said, yeah. I will use all these new things. It's just that he doesn't have a censor. So right. this is a perfect medium for somebody who doesn't have a censor. But it's there was really some point at which Hillary – there was some tweet under Hillary's name. I don't remember what it was. It was something like, you know, thank you for, you know, for the 4th of July. And you knew that that tweet went through 28 different communications consultants. We know that now from the, from the emails. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, the, 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 his lack of being a packaged candidate – was most evident by his behavior on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. And so what did Kellyanne Conway say last week? Like, I can't take his phone away. He's an adult. I can't take his phone away even if he's hurting himself by, by tweeting at 321 in the morning. Well, all I'm saying is it is rare. It's been rare. Like, there was all that thing about how, well, you know, well, wait the a debate. So what does that have to do with the Twitter as a company, though? Well, I'm just saying that it, it played a it's played a very large cultural role in right. the election of the most important person in the world, both to his 
both to, in this case to Trump's betterment in the primaries and to his detriment, I think, in the general election. So you could say that Twitter helped him get the nomination and was one of the things that made but it impossible for him to become – The problem with the premise of Twitter is the problem, all these sort of new media or social media uh, companies is that there's, there's some immutable law that they should be making money. Whereas there's no particular reason why that's the case. Right. So that, that's the point I made the last time we talked about yeah. selling Twitter six months ago, um, which is simply that <laughs> – We should just buy it. <laughs> we, well, it, it. The price keeps coming down. Maybe yeah, we will. Um, that, I mean, I, I'm, and so I'm complete with Rob on this. <clears throat> it's a great product that um, probably should be hosted in the nonprofit sector. The only reason why everyone's freaking out about selling it and about it may go under is because of the, the – the, Peculiar institutional things that have to do with you know uh, the stock market going public, ec- private equity, where you promise these huge returns on an investment, and everyone wants to be the next Facebook. And maybe Twitter isn't the next Facebook. Maybe Twitter is just simply Twitter. Right. And right. if it had like a Wikipedia model, um, well, it would well, make. I think the problem or is or just you know just a normal business model where you're yeah. not planning on um, growing twenty percent a year. You're just going to clear, you know, twenty is, million dollars a year. It is, in fact, more often the case with I think tech companies anyway. Yeah. The, the problem isn't the product. The problem isn't the users. The problem is the valuation. Right, but the, the and the, but the problem here is that you know Twitter would not have been able to scale up with 100 million people using it at the same time were it not for venture capital, yeah, like yeah. being able to raise this amount of venture capital because as we were talking about, it's extraordinarily expensive just to maintain, you know, just having all these people on one side at one time without it crashing is an extraordinarily, you know, you'd have the Twitter whale every 15 minutes right, which we yeah. did. if it were in a different which right. we did. Yeah. Um, but the question is whether the Twitter right now at its current valuation is uh, – does not in fact provide a perfect return. I mean, what what the, what those venture inv- what those what that venture money did was it, it got out when after the, after Twitter priced in the public market. Mm-hmm. So the people holding the bag now are mostly shareholders who you know should know better. Uh, but that's that's kind of yeah. American business. That's I think it's probably yeah. fine. Twitter it, as a as a thing as an institution as a thing that works it's going to continue to work. No well, you know, one interesting thing that happened today this morning on Twitter is that. Matthew Iglesias, one of the more obnoxious people uh, on the on the left, uh, now working for Vox, worked at the New Republic, worked at New York Magazine, uh, very obnoxious guy, um, and a big obnoxious user of Twitter, went back and scrubbed his Twitter feed. He deleted tens of thousands of tweets, including many tweets in which, over the course of 2015 and 2016, he kept saying things like, Trump would be better than Rubio. Trump would be better than Cruz. Look what Trump's, Trump has a lot to say about this or that links to things and, and, and that sort of thing. And he basically went through and ideal, purged his own ideological history so that nobody could come at him with it. Well, of course they can because Trump – because Twitter is – Well, you uh, have to have saved it. Someone has well, to have saved a screenshot it. Yeah. of it. But, you know, well, he – it, right. It's been – there's been snapshots of it for years. I know, but, I know, but you it. can memory hole a lot of stuff. Like that means if you search – if you do a search, it's not going to come up, that kind of thing. But it's interesting because, of course, this ties into this really remarkable piece that this pseudonymous lawyer in Illinois, whose name I can't remember, on The Federalist wrote this week, uh, called Liberals Adored Trump When He Was Winning the GOP Primary, in which he went through 
chapter and verse of people like Iglesias, all these people saying, you know, Trump has a lot to offer. And, you know, I mean, Ted Cruz is really a lot worse than – Marco Rubio is really a lot worse than Trump. And Trump is – And And now, of course, he's a combination of, you know, Hitler, Mussolini – um, Mike Tyson and you know uh, and Bill Clinton and, 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 yeah. Yeah, and Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> combined, and he's the worst person who's ever lived on the face of the planet. Every single one of those candidates was worse for Democrats because they could have won. Yeah, right. yeah, but, but that's I, the whole point: is it wait, was wait, wait, all wait, disingenuous. I don't, I don't, I don't know that it was all disingenuous. I think a lot of it was disingenuous, and certainly some of people were entirely disingenuous. But there is there's a psychological component to it too, where um, you know Trump was a Big city liberal, and I think a lot of liberals saw that in him. And, um, you know, Ramesh Panuru and I wrote this piece a few years ago on how um, the premise of it was essentially that for liberals, the only good conservative is a dead conservative. And what I mean by that is that once any conservative dies, they become this cudgel, this standard by which today's conservatives fall so far short. The Reagan and Yardstick. Like, you know, know, George W. Bush, you know. You know, he's you know when Look, he was I had a lot to disagree with him. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, he was right, really right, right. he was great on AIDS. And so, like, like <laughs> John, I mean, Hillary Clinton, Paul, James Carville, they all talk about Barry Goldwater, yeah. like he was. Now there was an honorable and decent man, right? And so the the, the thing is, is that whenever a conservative threatens to be the one and to be the one in power, that's when they're evil. And we saw this in the 1990s with. The neocons. There was, a, there was a real period in the 1990s where, like, the New York Times and the New Republic loved the Weekly Standard. Right, right, right. And because they were sort of the smart intellectual conservatives out of power trying to get in, and they were useful to make fun of sort of the social conservative types. There was that moment in the primaries, uh, before the primaries, where the New York Times Magazine made Rand Paul the most interesting man in politics. And Time Magazine. Right, and they elevate – they always elevate right. the guys who are on the outs and say – if these guys were really the ones in charge of the conservative movement, I would like them. And then when they actually get power, that's when they turn on. Right, right. And I think that dynamic explains a lot about what the Trump thing. They were using Trump as a cudgel because they didn't think he was going to win, and they were trying to lay down that marker, and now they look like idiots because, you know, he got the nomination and they're freaking out. Ah, uh, life, life is uh, very depressing. That's all I can say. Really? Wow. I mean, I have my children. I have my health. But, I mean, you know, the sort of this uh, – the general – no, I don't really have my health. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I, I don't have my children. You don't have, yeah, that's right. I, 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 I write checks on behalf of my children. You, 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 you uphold them. I uphold my children yeah. and they're – I hope they'll – Support me in my, you know, so. in my unemployment, which could be, which could be any minute now. <laughs> really, like, they have kind of a green eye shape, kind of quality, kind of like making rapid calculations. Yeah, that would be nice if they did. Um, the great courses, my friends. When we have some downtime, we love to take that time to learn something new, and we're going to have a lot of downtime pretty soon. And that's why we're fans of the Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus offers really engaging video lectures presented by award-winning professors and experts in their field. You get unlimited access to courses on hundreds of topics like history, politics, science, cooking, photography. New courses added all the time. There's always something new to learn. Stream the Great Courses Plus anytime, anywhere. Smartphone, tablet, laptop, TV. 
Here's one we could recommend. I mean, I haven't heard it, but I know a lot of people like it. The Hobby and Leisure course, How to Play Chess, which I could really use because my six-year-old beat me at chess last week. Really? Uh, I, he's good, and I don't know what I'm doing. Um, uh, and uh, huh. so you get great tools to become more confident when playing the game of chess. And so if I, maybe if I could do it, I could beat my six-year-old like... You know, beat the beat him until at the ground. Chess. At chess. Okay. <laughs> at chess. I would just like to defeat my six year old at chess and then comfort him as he saw. What, what, what was his great gambit? Uh, he moved pieces, Rob. Yeah, okay. <laughs> really was, that was really the key to his success was that he moved pieces yeah. with some understanding that you yeah. – that so planning ahead. Something, some yeah. kind of pl- – I don't know. Or you I, kept saying, the little horse eats the L one. What's the L one? No, I, uh, yeah. no, I, I knew that. I just – anyway. The Great Courses Plus is offering our listeners an opportunity to get a full month of unlimited access to all of the lectures for free when you sign up using our special URL. So go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash glop. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash glop. And we thank the Great Courses. Now, gentlemen, uh, we are... I think going to be doing this next, uh, the next glop from aboard ship, I believe, uh, during the uh, annual, during the quadrennial uh, uh, cruise of grievances, uh, Festivus cruise of grievances. Ship of the Damned. Ship of the Damned uh, at National Review. When I signed up for this last year, I seriously thought it might be be a merry and joyous (laughs) occasion (laughs) and not the... And not the horror show that it will likely. No, be. it will not. Yeah, well, it will I mean, not be a horror no, no, show. There'll be a lot of gallows humor, and yes. there'll be a lot of drinking. As long as someone of... doesn't set up the gallows. The question is whether <laughs> whether a gallows will be set well, up. I think no. it's just you got to make a point. That, well, once you're 12 miles offshore, anything goes. No you know? one shows up on our cruises that doesn't want to be there, and that means they're sort of self-selected to want to sure. be there and have right. a good time and all the rest. Obviously, it would be better if this was the post. Rubio victory cruise or the post Kasich yeah. or Rand Paul. Oh, yeah. It would be or great if it were Rubio so that you sham this Yeah, he's very interesting. You know, I don't think really people gave him a good look in 2016, 2020. But I think the ship itself is a metaphor. A bunch of people have to come together after a catastrophic event and figure out how to, you know, move forward, I suppose. It's like the last ship. It is well, the last I, a show I actually like. It is quite, it's quite so a good show. It yeah. No, no, it's no, fourth no, it season. Does well, yeah. yeah. It is. I, I'm convinced. I would love to know the the the, the backdoor deal with the Navy because yeah, in I a know. lot of ways it is like oh, product a, placement for the total. Navy. The whole thing is product. It's like the most extended bit of product placement I've ever seen. Yeah, and it's very well done. But it's like like the PR shop at the the part, media yeah. office for the Navy just struck a huge coup with this thing. Yeah. Not since the Mars movie has, you know, a government agency so successfully. So successfully part of the, uh, yeah. By the way, the Mars movie was on, I was, I was home this morning and it was on HBO and I was watching it and um, <laughs> remembering how The Martian and how good it is. And I had neglected, I hadn't remembered that the comedian Donald Glover plays the sort of nerdy guy who figures yeah. out how to get him home. And of course, Donald Glover, in an absolutely insanely brilliant bit of casting, has been cast as the young Lando Calrissian in the next big, in the young Han Solo right. Star Wars right. adventure. I assume Chris Pratt will be the young Han Solo, but I don't think that's been established yet. Oh, that would be interesting. Um, Chris Pratt's got a, is a much bigger dude than Harrison Ford. He but, is, but yeah. th- nonetheless, I mean, you can always 
somehow CGI manage that. Right? <laughs> skinny him up. I'm still struck by the fact that uh, on, a, on a random weekday morning, Pedora's is at home watching movies. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Rob, you know, some of us, <laughs> some of us, I left Attention the secret synagogue. donors. I left the secret synagogue and, uh, you know, I, I made my, tra- I made my trades What's for the day. On? Not much. I made my trades for the day. So, I I you arranged made, you trades for tomorrow. For excuse me for tomorrow, and I, I I arranged for the removal of some bank sure. accounts. I do want to make one last point before we go, which is that one of the most egregious and horrible people uh, in social media, Mike Cernovich, who is uh, who is like the leader of the alt, one of the leaders of the alt right. There is a profile in the New Yorker this week of Mike Cernovich, in which my name appears, in which your name appears. Well, and in what context? He's talking about how. People like Jonah Goldberg aren't going to be fighting the war with Russia if we go to war with Russia. Anyway, he is the guy who essentially invented the term cuck to describe conservatives who are unmanly and unmanned so by, by liberalism. So conservatives are now against a war with Russia? Wow. Yes. I, I'm old enough to remember when conservatives were in favor of a war with Russia. Well, we begin bombing in five minutes. Anyway, the reason that I mention this is that Cernovich, who you know, set 10,000 alt-right nicks on me last fall – and is a, you know, invented this word cuck and is just a foul, rotten, per, you know, and full of talk about women and, yeah. and, and men and all this. So it turns out from this profile that Mike Cernovich, is light, Mike Cernovich lives off his ex-wife who made a big success in an IPO hmm. and who he says was radicalized by feminism and it ruined their marriage because she didn't know her place. And so that was the end of their marriage because she didn't know her place being – the beta to his alpha, and he's sitting there somewhere in Orange County living off his ex-wife's IPO. And that, my friends, is the true definition of a cuck. (laughs) I'm not sure that's true. But you know what? Why don't we we just table this topic, and you can tell him yourself on the NR Cruise, because I think he's going to (laughs) be... That is not happening. (laughs) Anyway, so so we we will be broadcasting... From the ship, I guess it's not exactly live, uh, but um, live to tape. But it is. But what's what's real? But what's really interesting about it is that there is a live audience and there's a lot of energy in the room, and it's 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 the but last we one we did. The last one we did was 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 pretty damn funny. Yeah, I no, think. it was good, and people and, um, really liked it. We're gonna so. have who are we gonna have in the audience to do the soundtrack laugh like uh, Albert Brooks and Taxi. Uh, oh, Jim Brooks. Jim Brooks, yeah. Jim Brooks. Uh, 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 uh. Lilacs, right? Lilacs would work. Is Lilacs coming? I yeah. think Lilacs okay. is coming. Yeah. So we could have, we could have Lilacs. Uh, uh, Nordlinger. Nordlinger has a bit of a has a, has a bit of a kind of loud laugh. Does this he? Could, uh, <laughs> like I that? Guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's could really do more of a like he's being garroted or something. Yeah. Like and you know, then there's and then there's that's Ramesh, who's like the guy on Welcome Back, the agent who went to because I'm with the kids. I'm I'm here, you know, down with the kids. The episode on Welcome Back, Cotter, when an agent came to see Gabriel Kaplan perform at a club, and he said, you're great. I was laughing the whole time. And his wife says, you weren't laughing at all. You are sitting here at the table. He's like, I was laughing in here. In here, I was laughing. You crack me up. That's Ramesh. That is Ramesh. Ramesh will just be sitting there with his arms folded across his chest. And he'll say, that was really very funny. That's what professionals do. Professionals don't laugh. Well, professionals and Vulcans. And Ramesh is more of the latter, yeah. But But as a professional, what we say is... uh, yeah, well, my oh, wife, as you know, as Rob knows, my wife is a is a but comedy a talent spotter, <laughs> and it's true. We go to clubs, and she so doesn't she doesn't is, laugh much. What but professionals she is. say is they say, "Well, that's funny." <laughs> <laughs> that's what they say. 
And they say, number 24. <laughs> number 62. That's funny. Okay. Anyway, so uh, thanks for listening. Uh, this has been the uh, pre-election, pre-recriminations episode of Glop Culture. And we will be recriminating a plenty somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic uh, when next we meet. So for Rob Long and Jonah Goldberg, I'm John Podhoritz at the offices of Commentary Magazine. And keep your nose clean or the Zionist conspiracy will be coming after you. Will anyway. I'm, I'm I'm just looking at this numbers and I see that LIBOR is going up tomorrow, so I'm really excited. Oh yeah, you got to yeah. go up and publish your trade now. Yeah. Uh, sorry, it's after three. <laughs> <laughs>